These past few weeks, uh, we've been camped in the book of Genesis, looking at the creation story. So I'm going to take us somewhere from there. But uh, just before I start, let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And as we think on the things that uh, you bring to our minds, open our hearts to hear you. Amen. Well, I called this talk, It's All About Jesus. And the reason for that is so that we might understand the importance of Jesus in the creation story and how he impacts everything that comes after it. So we're going to dive straight into our Bible reading for Colossians. So if you have your Bibles handy, that would be good because I will be going um, in and out of that. And we're going to look at five statements that Paul makes in the first six verses. Uh, We'll then examine these in a bit more detail and then see what implications and applications they have for us today. Okay. Ah, help if I put that on. There we go. So in Colossians, Colossians 1. The first statement is, Jesus is the image of God. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The next statement is in verse 16. Not only was Jesus before creation, he was active in creation. So we see there in verse 16, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. The next statement is in verse 17. Jesus sustains creation. It says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. The fourth statement is in verse 18. Jesus is the head of the church, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And the final statement is in verse 20. Jesus was God's salvation plan right from the beginning. It says this, and through him to reconcile to himself All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So there we are. Those are five statements that are full of, full of content. And you could probably do a sermon on each individual one. Don't worry, I'm not going to try. But let's just have a look at what they mean a bit in in a bit more detail. So firstly, Jesus is the image of God. Well, we heard last week from John Coles that human beings were made in the image of God. Paul now tells us that Jesus also bears the image of God. But there's a difference between Jesus and us. We were created out of two things physically from the earth, and spiritually from God's breath, his ruach, 
the breath of life. And these two elements created what we know as the human soul. While we were created in God's image, Jesus was not created. Firstborn in our reading means preeminent. It doesn't mean that he was born first or created. It means, in the Hebrew, preeminent. And Jesus was begotten, not made. John 1, verses 1 to 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus was not created by God. He was before creation, with God in the beginning. And Jesus is a spiritual being, just as God is. Therefore, there is a difference in the image between Jesus and us. We bear a likeness to God in that we have a spirit which came out of God's breath, while Jesus is the fullness of the image of God. Verse 19 of Colossians 1 says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What does that mean? Well, if you look at Jesus, you see God. That's exactly what that means. They are the same. So that begs the question, how could Jesus become fully human when he came down to earth? Well, Jesus was fully spirit as part of the Godhead. The Godhead being Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And Jesus' spiritual essence and power was limited at his human birth so that he would fully experience his human existence while fulfilling his earthly ministry. It was only at Jesus' human baptism that he received the power and authority of spiritual life when the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the river of Jordan. Now, all of this created confusion for people in the first century because many thought Jesus was simply human. And the apostles, such as John and Paul, had to address the misinformation, which we call heresies, that had started to spring up around Jesus. One heresy said that Jesus was just a man. Another, that he was simply a prophet or was in fact Elijah reborn. Another, that he was an angelic being like an archangel. And yet another, that as the Messiah, he was a great king similar to, similar to David. So that's exactly what Paul is doing in our passage. He is explaining fully who Jesus is. He is part of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and was around before the creation of the world. But Jesus was also fully human and he had to be that way 
because he had to suffer physical death to pay the price for our wrongdoing and rebellion. If you look at verse 22 in our passage, it says, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. So that's who Jesus is. He was around right at the beginning. And he is the image of God. So our second statement. You've probably done one of these. <clears throat> it's usually called, where's, where's Wally? Or if you're in America, it's where's Waldo? <clears throat> you see, not only was Jesus before creation, he was active in creation. But if we read the book of Genesis... It doesn't specifically name Jesus in the creation story. And people have said, well, where is he? We know that God the Father and the Holy Spirit are there in Genesis. And we get a hint in verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That is what God says as he's creating. Well, Paul picks up the co-creation narrative because in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 8, he says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Exactly the same values as God the Father. The Apostle John also affirms Jesus' role in creation. He says this in John 1.3, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was part of the creation, along with God. And everything was made through him, just as it was God. So we move on to our third statement. Jesus sustains creation. That's what he's doing up in heaven now. He is sustaining creation. Well, with all the turmoil in the world at the moment, it's an important reminder that he is in control. Because that has massive implications for us. Not only does it give us the assurance that when we wake in the morning, we see another day, but that God knows what he is doing. And that might be a difficult concept to grasp when events like the earthquake in Turkey occur. How's that possible if Jesus is sustaining creation? But we're living with the effects of a broken creation. Romans 8.20 says this, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That was written 2,000 years ago and it is very much true today. Creation is imperfect. And it'll only be when Jesus returns that it'll be made perfect again. This is a satellite graphic of the Indian Ocean. Uh, That great big red, uh, red thing on the right is Cyclone Freddy. And this is a Category 5 hurricane force tropical storm. And it is on a crash course with the island of Madagascar this coming Tuesday. Three weeks ago, the island was hit by a minor cyclone called Chenisa, which killed 33 people, left 20 missing and 34,000 homeless. We didn't get to hear about that in the news. Well, some of you know that my son Simon, my daughter-in-law Miriam and my granddaughter Sienna have just gone there as missionaries. And I woke up very early on Saturday morning with this on my mind. So I asked God, why had he called my family to Madagascar right into the path of a storm? And this was the word I received in reply. God said, I sent them to be a beacon of hope in a difficult place. Why would I not protect them? I've equipped them and given them gifts for this. Creation is imperfect and will not be perfected until Jesus returns. However, he sustains creation. He still acts for good. And that is our assurance. And that has to be my assurance. I will still be praying all week. Well, our next statement is also a timely reminder. Jesus is the head of the church. Well, when the Church of England lurches towards a potential split because its leadership has chosen a path that departs from the authority of God's word, it is natural to wonder, how is this possible when Jesus is head of the church? How is it possible when God loves unity that there is disunity? John talked about that last week. But Paul tells us in verse 18 that Jesus is not only the head of the church, but that in everything he is supreme. And just as at the fall, we have a choice to be obedient to Jesus or not. We see in the Bible when division destroyed nations. 1 Kings 12 records 
how the, tw- how the ten tribes of Jerusalem made Jeroboam king, while the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, along with the Levites, remained with King Rehoboam. And that divided the Jewish nation and basically enabled them to be conquered eventually by Assyria and then Babylon. <clears throat> Even Jesus warned about the perils of division in Matthew 12, 25. Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. There are significant consequences to disunity. And the question that many in the Church of England are weighing up right now is, should there be unity at all costs even when that runs contrary to God's word. You see, if there's compromise here, where is the next compromise? Christian marriage for anyone? Gender modification? Euthanasia? Human cloning? Where does it end? if you depart from the word of God. Well, I'd urge you to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul warned of difficult times such as the ones we're in, and how to stand firm, especially within the context of church. Time doesn't permit that I read you the whole chapter, but to pray see it, he calls us, to remember the faithful and follow their example. Expect persecution, and here's the main one, continue in God's word. And like our last statement, we have the assurance that Jesus is in charge. So our final statement Jesus is God's salvation plan right from the beginning. Well, when God made human beings, he didn't make us robots. He gave us free will to choose. And next week, we'll see what the consequences of that were. Spoiler, God knew that at some point we would disobey him and break the relationship with him but he had already devised a plan for that. And Jesus was the instrument of reconciliation between God and humankind. Colossians 1, verse 21 and 22, um, from our reading. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus' role as saviour of the human race was cast right from the start of creation. And when it finally came to the event itself which would set in motion the redemption of humanity the re-establishment of the kingdom of heaven back on earth and the renewal of creation, Jesus 
did not falter. He prayed in Matthew 26, 42. My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And we're going to remember that with our communion this morning. And the implication of all these things are huge and they are eternal because as we read on in Colossians verses 22 to 23, we're now presented holy in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation if we continue in our faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. What a great promise. And we know we can trust Jesus. But let's be honest. Why is it so difficult to follow this awesome Jesus? Who finds it easy? Well, here's a couple of things we can take away and apply in our lives, which I believe will make a difference in following him. The first is our daily view of Jesus. A well-known view, Rio de Janeiro, and there on top of that hill is Christos the Redeemer. And I think our daily view of Jesus is a bit like that. It's too small. In fact, I would call it mini-Jesus. And the issue here is that our problems always seem bigger than him. So what do we do? Well, we might come to church. And he gets a bit bigger in church. But when we go out the door, he goes back to being small. When we pray, he gets really close and a bit bigger. And there's nothing wrong in the way we personalise Jesus. He's a personal God. But we do tend to bring him down to our level. And that affects our confidence and trust as his followers. Because really he's only as big as us, maybe a bit bigger. I think this view is far more empowering. Although even I will admit that this is still inadequate. We need to see Jesus for who he is. In his fullness, the fullness of God. You see, because when we do that, our faith levels will skyrocket and our assurance in him will be multiplied. And that will shape how we approach life and the world with all its problems. There's a great song, I Have a Great Big God. It's a kid's song. And what a fabulous song that is. And we need to remember that, especially at these times. 
I have a great big God, and his name is Jesus. The second thing is our identity in Jesus. And the dilemma of the Christ follower is, do we operate as people of the physical world, or do we operate as people of the Spirit in Jesus? And this is tied to the last point, because our view of Jesus has a significant bearing on this. When we operate as people of the physical world, our efforts are minimised. Have a look at all those items on the screen. They're all things that we might use each day, some of them, some of them less likely. You've got a mini mixer, you've got a punch ball. Uh, That uh, pink thing is a mini genuine microscope. Uh, We have the world's smallest hoover, apparently, uh, a sewing machine, um, and a croquet set. And they're all miniaturised. They all function, but you know what? They're massively ineffective compared to the true-sized items. And that kind of be, can be how we operate. When we operate with a mini-Jesus, it's like operating one of those. We're called a new creation. Because when we ask Jesus into our lives, we receive the spiritual life we lost at the fall. And we're going to learn about that next week. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. You see, when we operate as people of the Spirit, we operate in our full potential with the power and authority that Jesus gives us to do even greater things than he did in his earthly ministry. If you don't believe me, read John 14, verse 12. Because that's what he said. You will do things even greater than I am doing. How can we start? Well, I'm just going to suggest three simple ways we can start to apply this. The first is pray big, bold prayers. Pray prayers that are humanly impossible. These are the prayers that heaven prays, and we want to see heaven on earth. So when we see a disaster like the earthquake in Turkey, pray for miracles, even now, that people will be found alive and well and without injury. Because humanly, it looks impossible. I'll be praying that that big storm just turns to nothing in the ocean. Because I believe in the God of wind and waves. The second thing is, 
praise when you don't feel like it. Isaiah 61 says, instead of a spirit of despair, put on the garment of praise. This is something I've been doing for, probably I, did, I started it in COVID. And boy, we needed stuff like this in COVID. We still do now. Because when you put on the garment of praise, something changes. Your circumstances might not, but your mood, your emotions, your outlook change because you are praising Jesus. You are acknowledging that he is Lord of all. And it completely transforms how you see things. And then the last one. We will face hardships, difficulties. As the well-known chorus says, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look up. We can choose to look for answers from the world around us. Or we can choose to look up and see Jesus in his fullness. The world doesn't have the answers. Only Jesus does. Amen.